The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate that. Now, Marilyn wasn't aware of this, but I've just been in communication with Craig here a little few minutes ago, checking on Aiden, and uh, <clears throat> they were able to take two liters of fluid out of his lungs and two out of his stomach. There's a three-year-old, um, and now he's resting comfortably. So uh, he's stable, so we need to really pray that uh, he'll be able to defeat this, this infection, because it's, it's a toughie. But <clears throat> pray for mom and dad. You know, my, my heart just breaks, you know, and, and if, you've, if you have children, you can just imagine what they're going through right now. So pray that God would give them strength. Um, Kat does well. She's, uh, she's got mama's strength. We started working on him, and <clears throat> the little guy was crying, and Craig just had to get out of there, so we went out and spent time together. So He's stable. We're thankful for that, but just continue to pray, okay? And uh, pray for the picnic this afternoon. I see all of you, or most of you, dressed to go have a good time, and uh, it's such a beautiful day with all the rain we've had. It's a great blessing. Uh, pray for the many folks that are on vacation as well that will miss our, our time, but uh, God is good, so we're thankful for that. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, this morning we come to you and just thanking and praising you for the amazing grace you shed upon us. I pray for little Aiden right now. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would give his body strength to ward off this infection and that he would pull through. He's been doing so well through all the chemo and and his counts have been getting better. And so this glitch, which happens a lot of times with leukemia, is... We just pray, Lord, that your hand would be about him and the physicians, that you would guide them. And I pray especially for mom and dad, that you would just lift them up and uh, give them a peace that passes all understanding. Now we ask, Lord, that uh, you would bless our time in the word. I pray that the pen of Paul, who laid so beautifully out your plan for us, would resonate in the hearts of each one of us. We'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, if you will turn there. We're in our 10th week, and uh, the first nine weeks, we've enjoyed amazing truths. We've had a tremendous blessing of 
all the wonderful things that God has done for us. When Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, we saw the joy in the voice of Paul. For to me to live is Christ, we were able to see how when all of us turn our lives completely over to him, how wonderful it is to know that he's guiding us every step of the way. And then last week, we saw our amazing death benefits. For me to live is Christ, but to die, oh, that's gain. And we saw the benefits, the tremendous benefits as God holds our hand and walks us through that passage into eternity and all the blessings that are not only there for us when we get to heaven, but the blessings there right now guiding us every step of the way. We saw back in the book of Psalms how he said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Like a wonderful father just welcoming home his children. Now today, it's going to get personal. Because now Paul turns the responsibility back to you and I. And I'll be honest with you, for the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to find a way around it. And maybe I'll just skip to chapter 2 and we'll keep talking about the good stuff. But we need to get into these verses because it's very important for all of us to see. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. After all the blessing he gives us, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The Bible is full of passages that Christians are to live worthy of their spiritual possessions. If you're a Christian, you do not hold, any, or hold your possession on any merit of your own. It is all solely on the grace and mercy of God. How he sent his son to take upon the form of man, to live on earth, to show us the Father, and then wonderfully die to pay the price for our sins. All that we have in Christ is because of him and because of his faith, faithfulness. But having it, you must live your life worthy of your calling. Old things are to be put away. Behold, all things are to become new. This is the point of the section that we now come to. Paul has spoken of the privileges that Christians have in Christ, all the blessings I've already outlined. But now he speaks of our obligation. Are we fulfilling our duties as Christians? Do we stand together against the increasing opposition that faces us? Are we faithful in prayer? 
do we draw together in love, having our fellowship enriched by the Holy Spirit? Are we obeying the leading of the Spirit? Are we of one mind and of one purpose? If these things are so in Philippi, then Paul has great, great reason for rejoicing. They will be mature Christians, for their conduct will be worthy of their calling. So as we move through this morning, are we faithful to the calling of Christ? How much we all need this emphasis on Christian conduct. Perhaps there has never been a period in history where it is so critical for all of us to stand together for the cause of Christ and demonstrate the love of Jesus to a dying world. Privilege implies responsibility. If we have been called by Christ, we must now live worthy of that calling. Now, Paul lays this out for us in a very unique way. He does it by talking about our citizenship. Paul teaches these truths by a word in verse 27 that is so hard to translate that many of the translations use seven, eight, ten words to try to illustrate it. Uh, many of you, I know, use the NIV. The NIV says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. As we saw this morning, the ESV says, only let your manner of life be worthy. But what it is, it's the Greek word, poletio, and it is based on the noun meaning polis, which is the word for city. In this classical age, the polis was the largest political unit, and the Greeks belonged to it as we would belong to a country. Consequently, the noun actually refers to citizenship, and the verb means to conduct oneself worthy as citizens of the city-state. Now, the translation city-state is not a really good one either, because in the Greeks' eyes, the polis was much more than just a city, and it was nothing at all like being a member of a country. So what we find out here is that in our day, it's possible for a person to be a part of a city and yet not feel like they're part of anything. And it's possible to be a citizen of a country and not be involved in it politically or in any of its leadership positions. But this was not possible for a citizen of a Greek polis. The polis was his life. Its laws were part of his being. Its customs were something of which he was proud. He knew all about it, and he knew practically all its inhabitants. The polis dem uh, demanded his complete loyalty, and he gave it willingly. To him, it was the best thing in life. So they were proud people, proud of their heritage, proud of this citizenship. So when Paul writes that the Christians at Philippi are to conduct themselves worthy as citizens, he's not thinking literally of a city to which his readers belonged. He was thinking of the church. And in this context, his administration points to their mutual duties as members of a local commonwealth. So Paul is really taking their whole understanding from a political standpoint, 
and he's bringing it home to a spiritual standpoint that they would be able to identify with because of their own lives. So in the polis, is the polis a state? So is the church. Consequently, Christians are to work within the organization. Is the polis a people? So is the church. Consequently, we are to preserve individual interests and respect individual contributions. Is the polis a living community? The church is also. Consequently, Christians are to share a common life and contribute to each other's well-being as living members of Christ's body. So there are always problems when Christians forget any of these aspects. When Christians forget that they are members of a Christian state, if I could put it that way, however loosely it's conceived, then the right of the individual conscience reigns supreme and each one does as he sees fit in his own eyes. Consequently, people think of the church as something that entertains them, something that meets their needs, rather than looking for a church that is faithfully executing the Word of God. On the other hand, when an organization dominates, the individual is suppressed, and it takes a Martin Luther or a Calvin to reestablish the understanding relationship between man and God. When a matter of community is obscured, believers lose concern for one another and neglect the insights that other Christians provide. And so basically, people just start living life according to their own understanding. Paul did not want the Christians at Philippi to omit any of these elements. And neither should you and I today. Knowing ourselves to be members of a living community of which Jesus Christ is the head and being conscious of our common life together, we are to live lives worthy of our calling. We are to live as members of Christ's body. This doesn't mean merely to be good. It means to be active, to be involved to be loyal, to participate in ministry. In other words, be active in your Christianity. Further uh, light is shed upon this verse by the fact that Philippi enjoyed a privileged relationship with Rome. And this is why Paul knew they would be able to grasp this. Prior to the great civil war uh, in which Octavian finally defeated Anthony, Philippi was like any other city in the empire. After the battle, a number of soldiers who had been favorable with Anthony settled there at Philippi, and so they were given special status. And from this point, Philippi was now a Roman colony. Citizens of that city became Romans. Roman law was practiced, and Roman customs were practiced. They were proud of the part they played in Rome. Consequently, the Philippians took great pride in their status. They defended their Roman culture to the hill. In fact, when Paul first came and preached the gospel, many people accused him before the magistrates. We find this in Acts chapter 16, verse 20 and 21. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. 
and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they were standing strong in their beliefs. And this explains why Paul uses the phrase, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul knew how proud the Philippians were. He knew how important their citizenship was. So he simply took their understanding and he applied it now to this new faith and where their loyalty should, should lie. And how much more then were they to be proud of this heavenly citizenship? This was the greatest citizenship. They were to cherish it. They were to live by its laws and customs. Moreover, they were to extend the influence of this commonwealth into the midst of a pagan, dead society. They were to stand up and be counted and to be the tools that the Spirit could use to further the gospel of Christ. You and I must do the same. We've never been members of a Greek city-state or anything like it. We've known Roman law, but we certainly know nothing of Roman citizenship. But we have a citizenship in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So heaven is our home. Heaven is to be our life. You and I, and I've said this before, from the moment we accept Christ as Savior, our citizenship is now transferred. We are members of the body of Christ, and our citizenship is in heaven. So the reality for all of us is to take our lives and begin to recreate them based on the Word of God. We often talk about the leading of the Spirit, how we quote John 3.30, how he must increase and we must decrease. But it's more than just a mental position. It's an outward living position that adjusts, that changes. Our goals are to know God's word so that we can not only obey it, but be sensitive to the spirit when he is guiding us into all truth. Our lives ought to be lived as citizens of heaven. And this is the key that he's putting across here. You and I were basically like Abraham, a foreigner in a distant land. We read in Hebrews 11, verses 9 through 10, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city, that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham lived his life as one looking forward to a city whose designer and builder was God. You see, we prepare for heaven by the way we live our lives here. Think about that. If you would just think about your Christianity this morning, what does it consist of? Does it consist of just an hour a week in church? 
Or has your whole life changed to one that is led solely by the Holy Spirit? When you get up in the morning, are you conscious of the fact that this day is God's day? And that everything I do today, whether it's work, play, leading my family, being part of a family, being old, being young, wherever you are, do you wake up in the morning with an understanding that this is God's day? And as a Christian, he has given me the Holy Spirit to indwell and to guide me into truth. Is that the basis of your existence? This is what Paul is getting across to them. To live as loyal subjects of the city of heaven. Now, Okay, how then do we live like citizens of heaven? You know, okay, Craig, what do I do? Read my Bible every day? Okay, pray? Sure. Am I to do more in the church? Perhaps. But here's what Paul does. At this point, Paul turns to two practical expressions of proper Christian conduct. Expressions that follow logically upon his reference to citizenship. How do you and I live as citizens of heaven? Number one, by keeping the unity of the Spirit. Verse 27, standing firm in one Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 also uh, bears this out. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love that word, eager. It's far deeper than we think about. Eager means anxious, impatient, longing, hopeful, yearning. So think about this. Paul is saying you and I ought to live yearning to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Can you imagine how many difficulties and struggles would be eliminated if we live with that goal in mind? To be unified in the Spirit, in the bond of peace? Unfortunately, most evangelical churches are not known for standing together. In fact, the opposite is quite true. Instead of an honest attempt to join hands across denominational, racial, cultural barriers for the furtherance of the common goals, Christians have all too often sought to tear down those who don't agree with them, even on the most insignificant matters. And this hinders the preaching of the gospel. If you listen to the news today, you often hear how Christians are identified with people who hate And and we're like, where does that come from? Well, certainly there are some Christians whose conduct does does not show forth the love of Christ. And what happens is everybody gets lumped into the same thing. But when you and I have that common goal together to keep the unity of the Spirit, then there is a message that transcends everything. You know, I'm often talking about this, and I hope I never stop talking about it as long as I'm preaching. But our obligation as Christians is not to point out faults, it's to point to the Savior. 
All men have faults. I have faults. You have faults. And if we sat down and started nitpicking, we could find out things and probably make them real doctrinal issues. But the reality is, Jesus came to forgive and to show mercy and grace. And that's done by keeping the unity of the Spirit. Now, there will be times when we need to stand for the truth of the gospel. But we need to be careful and to be mindful of where we're going when we do it. In place of this division, Christians should know a unity that is visible and has practical results. Number two, by keeping the unity of the advancement of the gospel. By keeping the unity of the advancement of the gospel. The second practical expression of true Christian conduct follows naturally from the first. If believers will conduct themselves in a manner that leads to Christian unity, then they will find that this also leads them to strive together to advance the Christian gospel. Verse 27 again, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The result will be a passionate Christianity. Now, some folks just love to witness. Some folks just can't wait to get out there and talk about Christ. I think of Dick when I think of that. Just loves to talk about Christ. There are other people who are scared to death to talk about Christ. But when you are yielding to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to do the talking, you're amazed how it flows out. And that ought to be the common goal. That's part of the unity of the Spirit is our desire to bring that forward. The Christians at Philippi knew that it meant what it meant to stand fast as Romans. They knew the obligation that was theirs to advance Roman rule in the face of barbarianism. And in the same way, Paul would have them united in the advancement of the faith of Christ. How we need to rediscover a deep desire for the cause of Christ. But you only are able to do that when your faithfulness to be united in the Spirit as brothers here at the church is realized. In many places, and sadly in America, it seems that Christians have retreated to the comfort of the church. And believers seem content to have it that way so long as they can be trouble-free and their kids are protected. But remember the example that we have in Paul, who set out with all the enthusiasm someone could have to spread the gospel to a dying world. We know the time is coming when the Lord will return. But how interested are we to get that saving message out to the world? Many of you are familiar with the story I've shared with you. Back in 2007, I visited uh, several churches that were very big. And it was just for my own understanding. We were going through a, a crisis at time at then, and, and I was trying to determine what other fellowships did. And I had a two-hour lunch with Bob Russell, who was the builder of Southeast Christian in Louisville. At that time, 23,000 members. Now, understand, I have no interest in that, okay? 
And if you talk to any of our elders or deacons, they'll share that. We're not about getting big. That's not the point. But I was fascinated by what it did. And, you know, you're thinking in your mind it's one of two things. Either it's money under the pews or, or God is doing a tremendous work. So we had lunch, and the first thing I asked him, I said, Bob, 23000 How? He said to me, have you ever heard me preach? And I thought, here we go, one of those guys. But he quickly quelled my fears. I said, no, no, I haven't. I'm sorry. He goes, well, when we go back, he said, you go into the bookstore, you grab a CD, and you listen to it on the way home, and you'll find out real quick, it's not me. Now I started liking this guy. So we talked, and as he shared with me, one thing came out. Now keep in mind, your leadership in this church is very content so long as we're following the Spirit. And a church of 200 can be just as blessed as a huge church. That's not our goal. But here's to my point. He said that over the years, they'd done surveys of their people. And here's one consistent fact that's hung true through all those years. 90% of our people invite at least one person to church every month. 90%. Now you can see how quickly that would escalate, even if a small percentage stick. But what he was saying to me is, God is working and our people are responding. Paul is telling us, the Spirit is working. Are you responding? Are you responding to the leading of the Spirit in your life? I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, Grace is such a friendly church. Grace is such a warm church. Your people are so friendly. I've heard, and, and Dick can bear out over the years, if there's one thing I've heard over and over again, you're the best kept secret in Westerville. Why are we still a secret? I hear people come to me, you know, your Sunday school teachers are awesome. I just love sitting and being fed. Your Bible studies at night and during the week, amazing. God is so good. And occasionally I'll hear people say, I get a lot out of your messages. But every Sunday I come, I see the same empty seats. And the same missing people. Now, I reinforce again, it is the spirit we follow. And if God is working in lives and we're staying here, I'm good. What I want you to do is look at your own heart. Am I obeying the leading of the spirit? This is why Paul starts off in this verse, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of of the gospel of Christ. It has nothing to do with your salvation. That's all of God. Lest any man should boast. But once a Christian, Paul says, walk worthy. Spread the gospel. Take it out there. I have people out there who are waiting to hear my message. Are you and I 
obeying the leading of the Spirit in our lives. We look at the world and we can quickly panic about what's going on. Don't look at what the world has come to. Look at what has come to the world. Jesus Christ. The early Christians saw not merely ruin, but the resources for the reconstruction of that ruin. They saw not merely that sin abounded, but that grace abounded even more. Romans 5.20 says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do you believe that this morning? Sin is abounding, but grace abounds even more. If you truly believe that, then you'll be willing to do your part as the Holy Spirit leads you and as he guides you into that truth. God so loved the world that he gave up his life. Are we willing to give up anything for Christ? God the Father sent his Son and when his Son hung on that cross, he turned his back on his Son and let him bear the sins of you and me. Are we willing to give up anything for Christ? We are allowing ourselves to be the instruments of the Spirit to spread the message of grace. That's what he's looking for. And from that assurance, the pivot of history swung from blank despair, from loss of moral nerve and fatalism, to faith and confidence that at last sin had met its match. That something new had come into the world. And that something new is just as new today as it was 2,000 years ago. You believe that the Spirit, that Spirit, that same Spirit is possible today? Do you believe it's possible here at Grace? Christ left us with a task to spread the good news. And to bring them in. How are you doing? How are we doing as a church? I think the time has come to stand up and surrender. you believe it? Will you allow the Spirit to live through you? Let's pray. Father, we just so love what you've done for us. How your Son left the glories of heaven and came to earth to purchase us, a dying, lost people, 
I pray that as the Spirit lives in us, and we know what the Spirit wants to do because we read it in your word, may we be faithful to the calling you've given each one of us. And may you become the single most important thing in our day from the time we wake up until the time we hit the pillow. May you be glorified in all that we do. That we might see tremendous fruit being born in this fellowship. That we might see the glory of God radiate from the place that is right now the best kept secret to become the, the church that everybody knows about. I pray that you would ingrain that in each one of our hearts as we give you all the praise and the glory. For it's in Christ's name I ask. Amen. God bless.